0: Hey, did you know it's almost time for Wartstock? Join us at Warner Park on Sunday, May 21st from 11 to 7. We'll have a wide variety of live music with headliner Ugochi. We'll also have food and craft
1: vendors, an arts activity area, and plenty of space in beautiful Warner Park. Find out more at WORTFM.org. I'll see you there.
2: The
0: trap where they went this rich man damn world. six foot six above sea level I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level
1: without struggle
2: no one in power ain't giving up nothing no change without struggle
0: no one, no one in power
2: W-O-R-T, 89.9 FM, listener-sponsored community radio, Madison, Wisconsin. And hello, welcome to A Public Affair. I am Esti Dinor. We have a two-part show again today. Later, we will be talking about the irony or worse of uh, Joe Biden being in Hiroshima while um, working hard, it seems to uh, keep the uh, Ukraine war going, and um, with it getting us closer and closer. To nuclear war, God forbid. But before that, we are actually going to have something a lot more positive and um, cheerful. I have in the station with me, which by itself is very nice. You are only the two, the second. People to have been with me in the studio since the pandemic, so oh. you know, for more than three yeah. years. <laughs> and uh, I have with me Aaron Cutler, who is founder of Michael Rising, and Casey Zander, who is a co founder of uh, that organization. And let me read to you the Michael Rising mission statement. Through community led organizing and citizen science, we explore the healing and regeneration powers of fungi to improve our local watershed, nourish our community, and build more resilient, joyful, and interconnected neighborhoods. So thank you, guys. Thank you. Um, good to have you here with me. Um, what is it that you are trying to do? Um, Aaron?
3: Yeah. Well, ultimately, I mean, it started with um, just like, it's a very, very raw Understanding that I, I I can't live a hopeless life. Hmm. You know, there's so much hopelessness right now, and and it kind of hit me uh, back in in high school. Um, uh, it was, it's kind of interesting. Fukushima happened, and half of my family lives in Japan. Um, and my dad told me I could never go visit them again. Yeah. And that that moment was really like I don't know. It's a, a wake up call slash, you know, just very depressing. Um, but then as I started learning about um, what can be done, because there has to be something I can do. I can't just sit here and, and be uh, in pain from how hopeless it seems like right now. Um, turns out that they were working with all types of different organisms, bio, um, technology, and one of them was mushrooms. And they we're growing mushrooms in Japan to clean up radiation. And these mushrooms would absorb the radioactive particles and break them down into less radioactive. They could actually extract them from the soil and water uh, because they would hyperaccumulate them
2: huh and i they, did not know that
3: yes so that's how i first learned about it and mm-hmm. paul stamets is a is a big teacher for a lot of people kind of making the very obscure world of fungi accessible to many people by breaking down very scientific words which is kind of plaguing the mycological space where a lot of people aren't able to access this information and 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 um that that really I had those books laying around the house my dad would always Um, show me stuff out of that. But um, now, fast forward to right now, uh, micro-rising is a way to invite the community to come together, work together, learn how to organize together to face these bigger problems. Um, And we're we're starting in Starkweather Creek watershed. That is one of the most contaminated bodies of water um, in our state. Um, And it's right here. Uh, And it's the water itself with the PFAS and all that sort of thing. Um, But what we're doing right now is trying to uh, increase the quality of water we're specifically, we're going to storm grates that are going into the creek, and these storm grates are actually connected to industrial districts and and, 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 and commercial and um, uh, people where people live, what do you call that uh, where people live? Uh, Neighborhoods, yeah, neighborhoods. That's what you call it. I was trying to think of the word for it, I was trying to be like fancy, but no, not gonna happen. And that's part of my career. I don't know, residential. Yeah, there it is. Thank you. Anyways, the runoff they they uh uh release their affluent from industrial uh businesses and it happens everywhere. It's just common practice and it goes into the storm drains. We don't get to see it, we don't see it. It goes into the storm drains, and when it rains, it washes all this contaminated uh pollution straight into our creek. All those pipes that go into Starkweather Creek, we map them out as we go out on our canoe excursions and we have fun, but we're marking all the different storm grates. Um, we're making mushroom filters and putting them into the storm grates, working with the city engineer, um, Phil Gabler. has has been such a great help, and I mm-hmm. feel so blessed that we've been able to yeah. talk with him. He's actually, yeah. Um, and uh, we're actually. Starting this summer, our first tests, because not only are we putting the filters in, but we want to know if it's working. We want to know what it does. Yeah. So it's very expensive to do these tests. That's why these projects don't happen very often. But uh, we're going for it, um, and we've got all sorts of people who are scientists, people who are community organizers, and just people that care, that are able to come together, share their knowledge, to make this organization real.
2: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Not- I, w- I wanted to add, though, Aaron, that um, residential areas also add to the pollution yeah. uh, with people who still spray their lawns and sure. uh, use... Um,
1: Lots of salt.
2: Yeah, yeah. all ca- right. So mm-hmm. during winter, so it's something to think about. But let's uh, hear from you, Casey. So I was actually going to ask if you are working with other people, and it's amazing and wonderful to know that the city engineer is working with you, but are you working... Oh, th- Tell us about, Aaron. mentioned scientists. Uh, who is working with you? What kind of knowledge base do you have? And what are your methods for, um, first of all, figuring out what it is you are doing? And secondly, whether it's successful?
1: Yeah, so <clears throat> we're, we're getting to that stage of um, finding out whether it's successful or not. That's going to take some kind of funding to accumulate tests. Mm-hmm. To you know, to to decide whether that's happening or not. But we do have some really amazing people that are helping us. Um, there's a woman out in California right now that's actually doing the same thing. Um, she had done it in the Amazon, I think, in California
2: after some fires.
3: Her organization, Core Renewal. Yeah. yeah,
2: I've heard about that. Yeah, about yeah. that effort after the terrible fires that have happened in recent years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she's
1: speaking directly to that issue. Um, and so there's people like her and then people on the board of friends of Starkweather Creek. And mm-hmm. then there's all kinds of other science, um, UW students that are, um, studying mycology. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking to a lot of the students to see if we can have it be some kind of course, uh, class, you know, study, where then the UW would carry the expenses for us for the testing, but that's further down the road. Right now, we're just really um, getting out there with groups together, um, cleaning up the land, um, really addressing that issue right now, Um, a lot of the garbage and some of the encampments, and that's something that um, is on our radar too. Um, so, yeah, I think that if you came to a meeting, you would see a whole broad spectrum of people. There's so many mm-hmm. different types of people with um, the education that we need. Mm-hmm. You know, an experience. What, an experience, yeah.
3: Uh, Ralph. Is a um, he used to work for the DNR and is also one of the friends of Starkweather Creek board members. We're both friends of Starkweather Creek board members, um, so we're able to draw upon the, the deep wet reservoir of knowledge within the friends of yeah. Starkweather Creek.
1: Lance Green, yeah, it's been a really big connection.
3: Um, and these skilled people, these knowledgeable, experienced people, help us set up the process in mm-hmm. a way so anyone can interact with it and help and, and learn how to do the, the testing in a scientific manner.
2: So in your case, um, it's not just you who are really citizen scientists, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. assume you're mm-hmm. not trained scientists, but you do have help from the scientific community.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a, If you came to a meeting, you would be <laughs> like, wow, I mean, <laughs> there's from any, anything.
2: A lot, a lot of knowledge there. Yeah, yes. and they're
1: all really excited, which is really good great because we need that
2: excitement
1: um to carry through this project yeah
2: yeah and i'm very excited to know about (laughs) it like i told you before we started i'm a big mushroom person Mm. in in practically every way possible i love (laughs) mushrooms (laughs) And I just made an amazing dinner out of Morels that I found. You
3: found them. Oh, and, you got them all. I, I knew. Did, Someone I got them did all. In
2: three different places. Let's uh, follow her leaves, yeah, follow her. But I didn't have <laughs> enough. <laughs> so I also used um, Baby Bella's. Mm. And uh, I'll show you afterwards oh, the photos of what I. Oh. Nice. Any case. Oh, yeah. So how, how do mushrooms work to clean polluted areas? Who of you wants to
3: answer that, Darren? I can answer that. So, um, so it's, it's really a young science in the West um i think that the u.s especially has slept on fungi for a long time in the education system but there's a lot of body of knowledge in the last 70 years or so and essentially what happens is mushrooms have several functions that help with different contaminants one of the ways it is a hyper accumulator um so uh,
2: what does that mean
3: so when you grow mushrooms you grow on a substrate which is like wood chips that's their food source so you got wood chips and then all of a sudden you start growing mushrooms on it and the mycelium starts decomposing and creating networks that interconnect all these wood chips into one biomass. You call it a biomass. So this thing we have on the desk, it's just a jar full of wood chips, and there's a network of mycelium that is just connecting all of it into the one big chunk. Um, And essentially, it is highly porous. This chunk is made out of billions of little strands called hyphae, which is the the fungi's way of expanding outwards with these little strands, and there's millions of them, they spread in every direction. Um, in order to find more food and they interconnect into a mesh they make this like filter it is a biological filter because when it rains they are designed to f- have water pour through them and filter through them and they collect the, um, the particles ah, inside okay. of it and, and the nutrients, phosphorus, yeah. nitrogen, different things like that. So they actually have magnetic qualities that hyperaccumulate heavy metals. Um, and it's been proven over and over again, you can actually use dead mycelium because their structure is a natural filter. And it will hyperaccumulate ferrous irons, chromium, cadmium. Um, when they're alive, they do an even better job. So, that's one way accumulation. The other way is um, enzymatic um, properties that break down different materials, particularly lignin like substances. So lignin is a very complex uh, structure that makes wood. Wood is very strong. Um, 300 million years ago, wood did not decompose like it does today. Mm-hmm. trees would die and they would fall into the swamps they'd sink down and they turn into this weird black gooey substance and hard uh essentially fossil fuels that we know yeah today. yeah and at a certain point 300 million years ago um wood loving fungus figured out how to well they weren't wood loving until they figured out how to break <laughs> down lignin bonds And they
1: were like i like this
3: yes <laughs> and they started breaking down wood and they are to this day one of the primary decomposers of wood um so when you think about fossil fuels that's like a wood smoothie right from a thousand years ago and um,
2: <laughs> that's one way to think about so it. so the mushrooms
3: love that stuff they are cleaning up oil spills ah, and, and contaminated yeah. because the mushrooms will find it and they produce these enzymes that will break down fossil fuels and fossil fuel derived compounds that um, are similar with that lignin structure so they'll break it down into its most basic pieces which it then uses as a food source hmm and if actually if there's no heavy metals in the fuel um, you could eat those mushrooms without any sort of fuel taste. <laughs> okay, so that's, that
2: actually would have been my next question because I'm thinking if they have cleaned all these terrible contaminants they must be contaminated themselves and if so what do we do with them yeah. once they're done doing their jobs? Mm-hmm. so you're telling me that they're not con- they're, they're not contaminated
3: oh they are i said if there's not heavy metals in it there are many oh, okay. compounds like PFAS. they have not proven that mushrooms can break it down i mean there's some studies that saying oh we think it possibly might can but it's like it's in the process it's in the works we can't say that it does but um Heavy metals definitely hyper accumulate and they are left. So yes, when the filters that we have in the creek are saturated, we're going to have to move them. Essentially, uh, what Paul Stamets, what he uh, directly recommends you do is you take them and you put it through a process to extract heavy metals, separate them, and then sell them back and create a, cl- a closed loop where pollution all of a sudden becomes a source of... Um, recycling. Yes. You recycle those materials.
2: So I I didn't get that. Uh, can you repeat that or explain it so differently?
3: Contaminated filters that yeah. are just saturated in heavy metals. Yeah. One thing when industrial effluent goes through and you extract it, um there is actually silver and gold and and chromium is very very pricey also very toxic yeah <laughs> cadmium um these things cobalt cobalt mm-hmm. these things can um once they're hyper accumulated you can go through processes we're gonna start by doing various forms of uh, fermentation or uh decomposition uh-huh um and actually make soil contaminated soil in the controlled space and then use different plants that are known to to hyper accumulate different heavy metals for one, it will reduce the amount of mass of contaminated waste that we're gonna have. We're gonna remediate this compost soil that we make out of it, um, and then take those vegetables, you can turn them into a liquid, and then go through various processes to separate heavy metals. Now, if anyone listening knows how to do this sort of thing, Come please on. reach out. Give we've, us a call. We've got uh, a, a few people that say they know how, and I'm I'm more comfortable when we have 12 people that exactly. have done it, because that's yeah. how we actually get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yes, these are processes that are done.
2: Okay, that sounds absolutely genius to me. But, um, yeah, so so you're telling me basically that there isn't really the science that proves it. This is more speculative, or do we know that it can happen?
3: There's a lot of businesses that will do it, and they're not going to tell you how. That's what remediation so is So you say that with. will
2: do it. Are you saying that they have done it? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes,
3: there are different there are different places that do it and have done it, but all these things get patented. And if you try to make money off it too soon, they will sue you tens of thousands of dollars and that's really why you don't see you, you don't hear about bioremediation nowadays. Yeah. Bioremediation is partnering with um, organisms, microorganisms and different living organisms to uh, remove or break down contaminants in our environment and there are big corporations that do it. There are some in Madison that do it. Yeah. And, and and they won't tell you the process because it is patented information and it's like, you know, the secret sauce. It's how they make their money. Yeah. And I, I don't... It, it, but this technology does exist and yeah. I've been trying to talk about it more and get people, you know, just thinking a little.
2: So that's that's very interesting, Casey, because I was thinking as I was preparing for the show today, I was thinking about how um, a lot of efforts like that that start with communities, that starts with people who usually don't get paid for the work or maybe get paid very little. Uh, once they're successful, they end up in the hands of corporations um, that make a lot of money. I mean, just look, it's totally different, but I'm thinking about legalization of marijuana in um, California and how, you know, there are still people who were raising um Cannabis on their mom and pop um, farms, and they're still in prison now. You know, like what, five years after legalization? But the corporations were preparing all along and buying a lot mm. of land, and they are making billions nowadays. So, so again, I'm not comparing the two. It's sure. just something that I know a lot about. Sure. But. Um, is that is that a concern for you guys that uh, eventually it will become a corporate thing if it's mm-hmm. successful, and um, and they will charge a lot of money <clears throat> from the city from the county yeah, to do these that's, things? No, I'm not concerned. I don't. I'm not concerned at all.
1: Actually, I feel very much guided by source uh, in the matter. But um, in regards to there are so many what we're doing is there's so many aspects that we can touch, we can mm-hmm. touch community. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what, this is really like um, enriched in community connection and, and we're working with different groups who don't have the resources to learn about these different types of things. And so um, every step of the way, everything has just fallen into place and I do believe it's because our heart is in the right space. But um, it, w- there's so many like in- ways to get involved and um, groups that normally wouldn't be able to learn something like this, we're, we're being able to access. So I feel like mm-hmm. with that support, I mean, we're really just looking to nourish our land and our people, and that's
2: really what our, where our heart is, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, yeah, and um, I gotta say, the way I learned about you and your efforts is I got invited to a mushroom dinner which, of course, I cannot say no to. <laughs> <laughs> we <laughs> gotcha. <You can't> <laughs> <laughs> and so I came, and it was amazing. I have never oh, seen so Wilmar so full. There were, I don't know how there many There were too people. many people. <laughs> yeah, it was, but you still had enough mushrooms for all of them. Yeah. And then you explain what you were doing, and so I loved not only, of course, the dinner and You know, meeting a lot of people that I know and having fun there. But, A, the fact that you were thinking to do it like that, and it was such a community event. And then, of course, to hear about what you are doing and trying to do was amazing. So uh, kudos to you for um, really thinking about all of it very much in a community way. Because you're right, Erin, that's one of the things that... um, Keep us from despairing,
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, I just want to share this one thing: is that uh, the the research part of it is only one piece of mycorrhizing. and I'm yes. all, I talk about it so much because that's the part I'm now able to put my focus in. Been able to spread out from doing everything to now, everyone in the community is stepping up who have yeah. been with us for and organizing. So Casey is part of the group called myco Expeditions, and they organize expeditions out into nature uh um, and she can talk a little bit more about that but we also have Michael Grow and Michael Grow is all about teaching people how to grow mushrooms free mushroom growing classes and and um and getting people in their hands active with the learning process of, of how to understand fungi and gr- taking home grow your own kits yeah um, and, and 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 i got one of these yes. and i just brought it back to you Yes, is
2: it is it useful what i brought back since oh yeah. um yeah very oh. much so <laughs> yeah so
3: they're all synergistic like the grow group they take home the mushrooms they eat the mushrooms awesome when they actually sprout yeah
2: mine failed but well, I don't want you
1: to feel bad or discouraged <laughs> that's okay? part of the because process i mean I, I
2: i feel bad because i really wanted my mushroom
3: I, I know Well, I know. you
1: can come back for round two and yeah. i bet you'll be more successful i, will. <laughs> I definitely will yeah but
3: ultimately um after they grow all the mycelium is then requested that they bring it back because the mycelium yeah. left over is what we're going to use for... That's what you need. That's the good, good. Myco Remediate, which yeah. is more research-oriented group. Yeah,
2: yeah. So um, we have only like 13 minutes left, 12 minutes left, so I want to first of all reintroduce you guys, Casey Zander and Aaron Cutler, who are co-founders of uh, Myco Rising. If uh, our listeners have questions, well, we have less than 12 minutes by now 608-256-2001 or on social media at War talk on twitter or a public affair on uh, facebook and let's continue talking about some of the things that um, this kind of work takes for example how do you know which mushroom will work for what uh, kind of pollution, and of course we don't just, uh, as you mentioned, we don't just have one polluting mm. agent in our water. It's a toxic mix of all kinds of things. How how do you know which one to use, which which um, mushroom to use?
3: Well, essentially, we try to draw upon all of the knowledge that is being um, accumulated nowadays, and we go, look, we look at a whole bunch of different scientific journals that end up telling us. But um, really. We look, f- we're starting with oyster mushrooms. That's the one we're growing right now. Yeah. Because they're about the easiest to grow, and they have done the most research on them right. to per- do certain things. And one of the things it's very good at is certain heavy metals and, and, and um, fossil fuels. So we're starting there. And essentially. That's a good place to start. <laughs> yeah. Um, those are all things that you will find coming through stormwater. Um, you know, cars driving on the road, all that water and all the you know, stuff from the catalytic converter and, and the bottom of the car. When the combustion happens, it gets on the road and when it rains, it washes it down the, sh- the drain. So things like that, it, it's a good enough start. We can start with one mushroom. Um, and it's really about, you know, picking the tests, the tests that aren't going to cost us way too much to mm-hmm. begin with. Um, and we're actually going to just start with something like phosphorus and nitrogen and total suspended solids, because that's what the city is kind of looking at with mm-hmm. stormwater. Um, it's one of the things, three of the things <laughs> that they they're really trying to hone in on. The tests are nice and cheap. PFOS, on the other hand is about 600, 700 bucks per test
2: Yeah. Mm,
3: per test. Well, weird. this is like, I don't know. Um, I know heavy metals, you can get them for like 10 bucks. tests if you're doing in large batches.
2: Which reminds me, uh, you mentioned that earlier, that uh, PFAS, we don't know if um, this works on. And I was thinking, you know, as you talked about how fossil fuels were created and Mm. the relationship between trees and mushrooms and therefore mushrooms love what. We now have from these trees that are 300 million years um, old, but there, I don't. There was no PFAS, nope. um, <laughs> and <Nope. laughs> there, the some of these toxic metals. Oh, the the toxic metals are also part of nature, yeah. but PFAS is definitely not part of nature. Mm-hmm. So um, we don't know if they will. If if that's something that can go can work against PFAS. Yeah, Casey, correct?
1: Uh, I was just, as we're talking about salt, the The city is also really um, looking to, salt-wise is something people can look into if they're looking to figure out how to use less salt in the world today. Yeah. Because yeah. chloride's
3: a huge problem, too.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. So, um, Casey, how, how do you get enough mushrooms to um, make this happen?
1: Well, we grow, um, and we have... A, place actually that with andrew uh, his own lab i guess <laughs> you would yeah. call
3: it andrew griffin owns micro Mycos, and he is he's part of our crew and he lets us use his professional laboratory yeah <laughs> really
2: so, cool. uh-huh. but is that enough to um get get them working in all of the stuck where they storm um storm what what are they called storm what Storm drains. And, Storm drains. Yeah,
1: and that's gonna take more people just participating and showing up to our our grow grow days. Yeah. And the more people that we get involved, um, the better
3: we'll be able to do.
2: Okay. I'm yeah. one of yours. Hmm. I'll I'll grow as many mushrooms yes. as you yes. want. Yes. We appreciate it.
3: <laughs> um so a big thing about this organization is that it doesn't it's not centralized in that everyone can play as big a part as they want to. So in order to encourage that our process is we we grow in five-gallon buckets we grow in one-gallon buckets and these buckets you take them home so yeah. we don't need a location to grow and it's actually safer to do that if you have a bunch of mushrooms growing in one room mm-hmm. if they spore um, it can be really dangerous you don't want them sporing in a room like 10 buckets because you can get mushroom lung If mm-hmm. you have one grow kit in your house two three grow kits you're gonna be fine yeah um so people take them home we put them on a spreadsheet and they're it's part of their their duty to bring back the mycelium, you know, so we get more engagement and 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 to get used to being part of a community where you give and get. Yeah. Um. So space for growing is provided by the convenient community. In yeah. Like a battery type. Setting.
1: And and right now we have what, substrate that can grow thousands and thousands of miles of mushrooms.
3: Really? Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> well, okay, liquid culture. Liquid culture. That's yes. what I meant. Thank you. And they you. can be expanded out. <laughs> I was to explain? So, okay, liquid culture is basically water that's been um, pasteurized. Actually, it's been sterilized. So it's uh-huh. been heated past the regular boiling point in a pressure cooker uh, with sugar in it. Um, so that is then injected with some biological material from mushrooms. So you're just taking a little bit of mycelium, putting it in there, and this mycelium is then really happy. It's eating all this she sugar. She loves that sugar. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it turns into like this cloudy liquid mix, Um, and it's not able to go to the next stage. And it needs more than just sugar, but it's growing. There's a lot of stuff. And then you take that syringe, put it into a quart jar. That syringe, um, you can probably, with one pull, you could probably do five, six, seven um uh quart jars. Uh-huh. And each quart jar can then which is grains, um, really nutritious grains, oats, can then be expanded. One jar can go to a five gallon bucket. So this one jar of liquid culture can go to expanded into many 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 hundreds even thousands yeah so
1: we would never run out of mushrooms
3: no Okay. We would there's no <laughs> scarcity
1: Just people to grow them we need we need people to grow them though yeah yeah, yeah. yeah
2: well like i said yeah <laughs> my my house is one of these places <laughs> so um I, again as i was reading um to learn more uh, for this particular show, I read about um, genetic modification to make mushrooms more pleti- plentiful mm. and all more efficient, and also about how scientists are also exploring ways to introduce certain bacteria or natural chemicals, mm. such as cellulose, which is that sugar, right? Uh, cellulose? No, uh, that's something plant else. Matter. Okay, to make fungi's natural abilities more effective, what what do you know about that and, and how do you feel about it? Train so, a mushroom, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's
3: my department. Yes. <laughs> so essentially they're taking a petri dish um, full of agar, which is just a very nutrient devoid substance that the mushrooms can kind of live in. They give it a little bit of nutrients, but they're also putting um, the contaminant. They're putting um, pesticides and different chemicals actually. Um, in with this very early growing mushroom uh, the mycelium it's not a mushroom at this point it's just mycelium kinda growing on this agar with a little bit of nutrients but then they start slowly mixing in the contaminant so these mushrooms they are extremely smart and they really want to survive so they will do about like a hundred of them right and put this contaminant in all of them with a strain Um, and one of them or two of them or three of them will figure out how to produce a unique enzyme that breaks down that chemical yeah.
2: Um, and so, is that the good thing?
3: I mean, immediately, it looks like a good thing. Because yeah. these, these mushrooms, they're becoming dependent on this chemical. Which yeah, is like, I don't okay, like that. Uh, oh, the that's chemicals. interesting. Um, um, ultimately, it, we don't know what the long-term effects would be. However, if it becomes dependent on a chemical and you put it into a site, uh, and then it goes out into the site and starts breaking down these chemicals, right? When the chemicals run out... That mushroom, particular mushroom, probably wouldn't survive after that, so it probably wouldn't spread.
2: Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I want to go back to that question that I asked before, and I'm not sure I got the full answer. Um, if the mushrooms or the mycelium um, filter is now full of contaminants, yes. what do we do with it? Because now we have contaminated mycelium. Yep. Well, how do we get rid of that?
3: Um, how
2: how does that not become a new problem?
3: So the industry standard is to throw it in a landfill. Mm-hmm. And that's what they have. So what we're going to do is pre- um, implement different experimental processes. Experimental because the patents are hidden. But um, there's a lot of research showing that microbial activity in compost... Can bind heavy metals and different um, contaminants to other compounds. Heavy metals cannot be broken down any further; is an element, but it can be bound to something else and become less toxic and not travel through the soil as fast. Mm-hmm. So we're going to put it into a contained environment, ferment it, compost it and try to get it to a smaller amount of biological matter so we don't have a whole bunch of filters just sitting there yeah Turn it into soil grow plants on it to phyto remediate it that's what they call it and that's a very proven proven method along with microbial remediation um, reduce the biomass with different grasses and and vegetables and then tr- start researching the method to extract the heavy metals, separate them through mm-hmm. magnetic processes, which...
2: And take them to these corporations. That essentially,
3: can, yep. Yeah. And it, probably try to sell them to the same companies that are polluting the water and create a closed loop. That would be ideal.
2: Yeah. Okay, so we have to um, to end this um, section of the show. I have many more questions Um, But uh, I would like to invite you guys again in a few months. Sure. If you can let me know when you... Um, have some answers where uh, that you have seen some things, you understand some things, um, you learned that this either works or doesn't work. I would love to have you uh, come back again, and then I'll have time to ask you some of these other questions that I have. Which, for example, I um, read that um, mushrooms can help with reforestation. Mm. Uh, enhance crop yields and eliminate pesticides. Mm-hmm. Um, that in Chernobyl there are um, well, like like yeah. you mentioned earlier, that there are fungi that eat uh, radiation and. Uh, so on and so forth they can eat plastic which yes. is a huge problem nowadays mm-hmm. yes. so I want to talk more um, mm-hmm. we'll talk more in you know when you have new stuff to tell us about the experiment yeah. that's going on right here in uh, Madison but uh, let me give you a little bit of time just to kind of sum up uh, what you want our listeners to hear and uh, then we'll say goodbye so Casey Casey
1: Thank you. Uh, well, we have a grow day coming up. If people want to get involved, and what is the date on that, Erin?
3: That is June fifteenth <coughs> at six 15. p.m. And where? Um, they can reach out. It's at one of our houses.
2: So, uh, how do people get in touch with you?
3: Well, e- emails.
1: Email. Really. We we do email, and then also we have Instagram. Mm-hmm.
2: So tell people, what's the email? Where's the Instagram? Mm-hmm. I, I bet a
3: lot of our listeners are interested. Yeah. And uh, just for the record, anyone is welcome to join. And, and, and just feel it out. See what we're doing and, and come once or twice or a lot. <laughs> so where do we find you? You will find us. Uh, so the email is team at gmail.com. So M-Y-C-O rising team. At gmail.com. Myco, not micro. My
1: and we have some expeditions coming up as well, um, a camping trip too. And um, we've been doing cleanups of the water, uh, Starkweather Creek too, um, and a couple encampments. So, you, and, and where will people find out about that? So if once you get an email chain, we can add you to our, okay. um, how we communicate yep. Yeah. under Discord.
2: And please make sure that I'm included because yes. I haven't yeah. received anything from you since that... Uh, you, dinner oh. even though i put myself on your list we sent out
3: several emails interesting we'll get that figured out yeah.
2: <laughs> please make sure you have my email now make sure to um include me in it the
3: other yeah. place is uh, uh, instagram it is myco rising up m-y-c-o rising up um that's our handle and just direct message us on instagram that's probably one of the best ways yeah, to I'd directly right communicate
2: mm-hmm. yes okay excellent yep. thank you thank you so much thank you so much you're casey yeah. zander and um erin cutler co-founders of michael rising thanks for uh, coming in and thanks, thanks for, for, for the yeah. good yeah. work that you're doing i really appreciate that come mm-hmm. back for round two <laughs> <laughs> thanks yeah i want i do want more we're going to hear um mycelium by king gizzard and the lizard wizard and then we'll be back for the second part <laughs> And uh, we are back, and my next guest is John Steinbach, He's co-founder of the Hiroshima-Nagasaki Peace Committee of the National Capital Area, which has uh, regularly organized events with survivors of nuclear bombings in Japan. Um, we had you before, John. Thank you for um, joining us again. And we want to talk about the... Uh, Um, irony, or or worse, of um, Joe Biden being currently in Hiroshima for the G7 summit where they're talking or actually I guess they have implemented as of this morning uh, new sanctions against Russia. Uh, we talked last week actually about sanctions and how they often kill more than wars. Uh, why? Why is it ironic? What's wrong with that?
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure to be on W O R T. I've been on many, many times over the years. So, uh, I, I, irony is a is a good word. Uh, So the uh, G7 conference is being held in Hiroshima, Japan. So last night I I went to to the Washington Post uh, to see how the mainstream media is treating this. Uh, And it it was what I expected. It was that the Prime Minister of Japan is from Hiroshima, and he really, really, really wants to declare disarmament, and he's going to talk to to Biden, and Biden, you know, really wants disarmament too, but he's in a really bad spot with Russia, and it's all Russia's fault, and, you know, and the kind of stuff that we expect to hear, and and the reality, of course, is almost 180 degrees different than what the mainstream media tells us, and the, the reality is, is that, uh, uh, the Japanese Government, the LDP government, has been uh, very busy over the last, particularly the last twenty years, and especially the last few years of uh, building up its military and becoming more and more and more integrated with NATO. So and then NATO, of course, at the same time, has been expanding and been getting involved in the Pacific and with Australia and with South Korea, and with Japan, and of course, uh, the the goal is basically preparing for a confrontation with China, and that's the longer-term uh, goal. So, so, and then Biden, uh, of course, we, we know, uh, has been in the Senate for a very long time. Uh, he was, uh, you could say he was the last of the, the Dixiecrats like Strom Thurmond and Jesse Helms, the senator from Delaware. Uh, He was an ally of the segregationists. Uh, He was a major architect of mass incarceration. Uh, He was uh, a a cheerleader for the uh, uh, Desert Storm and for the Gulf War and for the Patriot Act. He was one of the architects of the Patriot Act. Uh, He was responsible for the uh, student loan debacle, whereby the students uh, uh, have these enormous debts, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they cannot get out from under them. And you know, you, you have people in their 60s and 70s that you know are, are never going to repay, and on and on and on. So, so, and, and he also was part of the Obama administration, which is uh, in the process of spending over a trillion dollars to so-called modernize the nuclear weapons. And, and Biden just the last summer came out with his nuclear posture review, and a lot of people thought, well, you know, he, when he was running, he was talking about, you know, no first use of nuclear weapons, but the reality is that the United States still reserves the right to use nuclear weapons first, and also to use nuclear weapons, even if nuclear weapons are not used against the United States. Yeah. So uh, you, you, yeah, there's going to be a lot of attention. Obama's going to meet with the A-bomb survivors. They're going to say all kinds of nice words. But the reality is, uh, you know, that the deeds speak louder than words. And the deeds are that the... Uh, U.S. government is embarked on a multi-trillion-dollar nuclear buildup, which is going to modernize the nuclear weapons for the next 50 years. And so, even though today there are many fewer weapons than there were at the height of the Cold War, these weapons are much, 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 much more accurate. Uh, they are much more versatile, and uh, they are much more sophisticated. And they are more usable, so that uh, yeah, you know, and, and and then of course I haven't even talked about you know the situation in Ukraine, and then the the reality that we are coming, we are at the end of the the era of cheap oil and 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 and, and plentiful resources, not to mention climate change. So all of that, all of this works together to heighten. Uh, tensions around the world. And every time there are tensions build up around the world, that that it lowers the threshold to nuclear war. It makes it more likely that either there's going to be a calculated nuclear exchange or an accidental nuclear exchange. So, so uh, unfortunately, much of the public, you know, has decided that, you know, nuclear weapons are irrelevant. But nuclear weapons are
2: irrelevant. Well, uh, let's uh, let's, John, first of all, talk a little more about the situation in Ukraine where, at least the way I see it, is Biden is engaging in proxy war with Russia, and Russia, well, Putin and and his folks have um, more than once mentioned the possibility of using nuclear weapons, and as you said, uh, the United States is no longer um committed to not um to to no first strike so that can happen too uh, on top of that there's the situation in the Zaporizhia region where yeah. a uh, nuclear plant is under constant attack and it may get breached and I I hate to think about what that might have m- might cause um so um, and, and also we're having the debt uh, ceiling discussion, but it seems like there's absolutely no ceiling to the amount of uh, money that is given for armaments to Ukraine to continue this war. So that is that I find is all very scary and also incomprehensible. Talk about that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so, so and a lot has been made that the U.S. government, particularly the mainstream media, has made a lot about uh, Putin's uh, nuclear threats. But, but what Putin is saying, he's, he's reiterating what uh, Russia's policy is, and that is directly a reflection of what uh, the U.S. policy is, which is essentially a launch on warning. So uh, and and so uh, one of the issues that's been happening uh, since the 19, or since the 1990s is that NATO has been expanding eastward toward Russia's borders. And so, beginning with Yeltsin back in 1997, Yeltsin warned about expanding NATO uh, to, to eastward toward. Russia. And uh, then in 2008, Putin made a very important uh, speech where he talked about red lines. This was in in Munich. And it, and, and it was people like Kissinger, for example, and William Burns, who's the director of the CIA now, who said that, for example, uh, making Ukraine part of NATO is the red line of red lines for Russia and he used the term Niet means Niet. he and Kissinger many others George Keenan as well the the architect of containment warned against expanding NATO eastward toward Russia so over and over and over again you know there's the NATO uh, expanded eastward and uh, so what Arguably, you could have argued during the Cold War that NATO was a defensive uh, arrangement. That that really is no longer the case. I mean, it's very, very clear. If you look at some of the RAND studies, many of the statements that the neocons have made and some of the the current uh, neocon members of the Biden administration have said is that they're very clear. Regime change is what they want. They want to get rid of Putin. They want to break Russia up into you know fragments uh, because you know, Russia is uh, has enormous resources. It it has some of the largest uh, gas and oil reserves, uh, precious metals, rare earth metals used in electrical vehicles, and so on. So so it's very clear when you read. What is being said openly? If you are Russian, if you are Putin, if you are uh, 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 members of of the Russian Parliament, the leadership, the leadership of the Russian military, it's very clear that to them this proxy war, as you said, in Ukraine, represents an existential threat to the nation. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is not well understood, and this makes the, the threat of nuclear war much, much greater because Russia's policy is very clear, just exactly and precisely like the US policy, and that is if the nation faces an existential threat, they reserve the right, we reserve the right to use nuclear weapons.
2: Yeah, and and, and they understand this. And an interesting thing for me is that I'm, I'm fairly used to being in the minority in my, um, Uh, rejection of war but in this case we just saw the uh, open letter from a group of high-level veteran military and national security experts which was published as an ad in the new york times calling for diplomacy to end the war in ukraine and yet i see as i talk to uh, people who are not Maybe close to me, or, or in in the way of thinking that there still is this um, feeling that um, it's good to help Ukraine. Um, For some reason, it's a war that um, it seems like a lot of American people support um, in a way that's not um, supported by uh, information I think, and um, like you mentioned before, and we have very little time left, I'm sorry, but um, that Americans are not really aware of how close we are to a possible nuclear war and, and what that would do to humanities. I remember in the 80s there were these huge demonstrations. Nothing like that yeah. is happening now. You have yeah. three minutes to answer all of these points.
0: So, and I'm not going to try to answer all the points, but let me, let me focus on two points. One is the issue that you brought up, and I agree 100% that this is a proxy war. And again, you have to look, look at what the neocons say. And the Biden administration is absolutely full of neocons that essentially want to run the world and control the world. So many of them were prominent in the Bush administration, responsible for the Patriot Act, responsible for the Gulf War, and they have taken over the Biden administration. We need to be clear on that. So when we're talking about a proxy war, and, and just look at what the Biden administration is saying. They are saying, you know, we are helping Ukraine in order to weaken Russia, so yeah. it is you know the that's that's Russia and Ukraine. let's let the two of them fight, and then the idea would be that uh, that that Ukraine pay, pays a terrible, terrible, terrible price in terms of of, of human suffering and and Russia pay, pay, pays you know less of a price, but still a terrible price. but the idea is to weaken russia, but ultimately, the, the, the goal is China and to focus on China. So I think that to wrap this up, the, uh, the G7 countries, which are a minority of the people of the world, uh, are in Hiroshima, Japan. And I think there's no mistake about that, 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 that because it's in Japan, it's very clear that it, they want to target China. This is a message to China and that the the majority of the people of the world are fed up, the the BRICS nations, you know, South Africa and Brazil and Russia and China and India and now Saudi Arabia and Iran and virtually the rest of the world, all of them are saying, we do not trust the United States anymore. And so that's the reality, and the danger is that the neocons, cannot accept this new reality of a multipolar world, and thus we are closer and closer and closer to nuclear catastrophe.
2: Yeah, and I'd like to add, you you said that the G7 are a minority of the people in the world, but the people who are actually meeting now in Hiroshima, the leaders of the G7 are... Uh, basically the 1% of um, the people who live on this um, beautiful planet of ours and I don't think The rest of us uh, want a nuclear war and the end of uh, most life on this planet. So thank you so much, uh, John Steinbach, co-founder of the Hiroshima-Nagasaki Peace Committee of the National Capital Area, which has regularly organized events with survivors of nuclear bombings in Japan. Please keep doing your work. (laughs) Thank you for...
0: Thank you,
2: W-O-R-T. Yeah, and thanks to Jade, who is doing double duty today. She is also the engineer, besides being the producer. I'm Esti Dinor. Thank you for listening, and we'll be talking again next week.